Welcome to The Tailored Quill. I'm Taylor Wilkins, and I hope you enjoy today's perspective. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Taylor here. Uh, I'm finally getting back to having a guest on the show. It's been a while since in like the last year throughout the pandemic. But I'm super excited because my guest today is someone who I connected with in the middle of the pandemic while she was overseas in Italy. Now she's in British Columbia and she's been in a bunch of places in between. But her story is fantastic because she's someone who used to work in what I would call like the common grind of nine to five or the startup life. And she did a lot of really great work in social media, in marketing, in business development for startups like Lime and Cabana, 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 <laughs> tomato, tomato. And, uh, and as well as for bigger brands such as Visit Bishop, Marmot and Spotify. But in the last couple of years, the reason I'm having her on is because she's the epitome of someone who hit this moment of burnout and broke out, like took the leap, took the very, very important, healthy, but extremely risky leap of figuring out, of like breaking out of that career path and taking the very literally road less traveled <laughs> into to very diverse places in order to not only explore the world and explore what other opportunities are available, but also to explore herself, figure out what's going on, what she wants out of life and what she can provide and offer to the world that is valuable and fulfilling. And so we're going to cover a lot of really, really relatable topics today that I know that so many of my clients and people in my community face on a daily basis and a lot of which I have faced as well. Um, spoiler alert, things like identity, burnout, expressing yourself vulnerably, the process of just finding yourself or looking for yourself, what that even means. Um, so I'm so excited. And I don't even remember how to pronounce your last name, Liz. Is it Fieser? <laughs> Fieser. 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 Okay, cool. Awesome. Okay. So I want to welcome Liz Fieser onto the show. So Liz, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I am very excited. Um, we really started our journey right in the midst of a lot of life change. So I'm really excited yeah. to chat about it and look back a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's perfect. And, and what's great is that your journey is really about to take its next big step, which we'll, which we'll, we'll get into at some point in this conversation. But the really cool thing is when I found Liz's website <clears throat> and just reached out to her cold, like she and I didn't know each other, the, she had something on her, on her website that said that she is a recovering philosopher and on all of her content that she's you know, a wanderer, she's an adventurer, and she's just insatiably curious. And so there's this explorational aspect of Liz that's not only, like I said, about the world, but about herself that is just so fascinating and enviable and admirable. So, thank you. Yeah, thank you. I mean, honestly, you're going to be such a, you're such a role model already for everybody that's in your, in your audience, but you're setting just such a great example. That means a lot. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I guess the first question, what I do kind of want to, I might as well, we might as well start in the beginning. Cause like, 
in the last year, you and I have talked and you've been in different countries, different times. I can't keep track. I have no <laughs> idea where you're, where you are. I can't at a certain either. Point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've had a hard enough time keeping track of client time zones and then mm -hmm. you're just all over the world. So I'm glad that we could connect here, but let's just start with the beginning because something that you have said to me um, in a bio that, that you sent a while back is that you're in the process of unwinding your identity and your self-worth from this, from the old model of the jobs that you had. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's so common. Like I talk about with people so much about how they tie their self-worth to their job and they identify mm -hmm. with their job. And if they lose that job or the job sucks, then they don't know what to do with their lives <laughs> and it's painful. Mm -hmm. So first question for you is what was that process like of first of all, just identifying with your job, you know, like, why did you get into that habit? Like so many people do of mm -hmm. thinking your self-worth was tied to your job. Yeah. So it's interesting. I think the reason why I tied my self-worth with my job is because it's almost like I was taught that, um, from a generation where the, your worth and who you are and what you do is your job. Um, I think I look at the kind of the older generation and I look at my parents and that was, they checked the boxes. Like you, you know, graduated college, you get a stable job, you get married, have kids, retire. Yeah. Um, and I was following that model. I was going, okay, I graduated college. Um, now I need to get a stable job. And it kind of just became this all encompassing journey to find the stable job that I could make my friends and my parents really, really proud of. And I got into the cycle of like, okay, this job's great, but oh, I can go out at West and work at a Silicon Valley startup. How cool is that? And I really lost myself in just being like, oh, I'm a brand manager or I'm an X and I work for Y. And that was, that was me. Um, and it started to unravel when I was like, well, what am I outside of that? When people would ask like, oh, like, hi, it's nice to meet you. I would immediately launch into like, yeah, I'm Liz, I work for blah, blah, blah. And that was kind of like a hmm moment where I was like, I don't have any other outside identifiers and there's so much more to me or there used to be so much more to me than a job where I was, you know, I really fell into endless hours of work. I had no work-life balance. It was just work, no balance. Um, and it was just kind of a, a toxic cycle. And it was really heavy um, to, to start realizing that, what are my hobbies? What do I like doing that isn't just something that like, I think I should like doing, or I think I should be doing. It's like that, that dangerous word of should. Oh, I should be doing th this thing that will help me progress to the next level of life as taught by generations before me. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the shooting all over yourself. Oh, it's that we all beautiful. do. <laughs> it is something that I am still, I think that'll be a lifelong journey is to not use that word and not guilt myself into doing a certain things because I think I should. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've, I've found that as I have gravitated away from saying should and like consciously, I've also replaced it sometimes with could Ooh, basically meaning like the same. Well, but like, I know the, the healthy version is like, yeah, that's, that's good to be thinking about like what you could be doing, think about an empowering way. But I found mm -hmm. myself also caught in the, that same trap as should of saying could, Ooh. but meaning should. 
of like, what could I be doing today? Which is, As in like, like oh, could, what should I be doing? Could is almost worse than should. Cause it like makes you think you have an opportunity or an avenue you could be going down, which like almost gives you more options, which for me, sometimes that puts you in like a state of chaos. You're like, oh, I could be doing all of these things. What, you know, what should I be doing? It kind of is like the step before should almost. Yeah. Yeah. Tricky. Yeah. <laughs> makes a, makes another trap. Yeah. <laughs> just any of the ud words. Yeah. Just Ouch. need to go. Yeah. But that's, that's fascinating. The word that you did, the way that you described how when somebody would ask or like introduce themselves and you'd be like, hi, I'm Liz. I work for blah, blah, blah. As though your job and your title was part of your name, was like your last right. name. Yeah, truly, it, it, it became my central identifier. And when I started to realize that I wasn't happy and you know, I was feeling this pull towards something else that I didn't know what it was, that the weight of that being like almost like my last name was so overwhelming and scary to be like, what happens if I put this weight down? Like what mm. will be left, right? Yeah. Mm. Mm. I mean, that's, that's a super deep question right there. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's like, what... I'm still on that. I don't have an answer for that yet. But... <laughs> well, and like, I know just because so many people I've, I've worked with have asked that question too. It's that fear of like, if I let this huge piece of me go, mm-hmm. what's, what's left of me. Right. And like, is it, it almost it feels like it's dangerous to let this massive, you know, ball and chain <laughs> go, mm-hmm. even though it's so much, so liberating as well. Completely liberating and so freeing. But like, if you can't see the other side, you're like, oh, if I take a step, will there be ground or am I going to fall? Um, and either way, like even falling is like a beautiful learning, but it's so scary. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and that's, I love that you say that because that's where people get stuck thinking, not thinking like a lot of people, I think get stuck thinking that there needs to be the next thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas the fall, however dramatic or painful or whatever can actually be the super positive next thing. But I think it's people's willingness to, to fall, mm-hmm. to experience that drop. Mm-hmm. That yeah. is the barrier. Could not agree more. Okay. So when you hit that point, when Mm -hmm. it was your opportunity to fall, um, first and foremost, like what was, what happened first in order to indicate to you that something was wrong and something needed to change? I couldn't find the motivation to do my job well. Um, And I, I like my job and I was good at my job, but I would find new tasks extremely, I would be very defensive and very combative to be like, wait, why do I need to do this? Like I've already done, like, I didn't want to learn anymore. I like couldn't take any more on my plate. And I've always, as a curious person, I love taking more on. I love learning more, but like when I started to get defensive about what my plate had on it. And when I started to get like a little bit bitter about my responsibilities, I knew like that was really the first step. And I felt like I would get the Sunday scaries, but then it would be every morning where I'd be like, oh, I really like, oh, I don't want to take these calls today. And it was almost like my wise mind, like the higher mind was like, Liz, you are burnt out. But as soon as I would get into work mode, I'd be like, oh, logic mind, I'm fine. Like, just keep going, just keep going, just keep going. 
And it became this really tumultuous battle between the two where in my downtime, I would be very burnt out, very stressed and could feel it in my body. And then just getting into the cycle and I'd be like, oh, well, it's fine. It's fine. But that really started to wear, like this, the, the cycle started to break and I could see really clearly that like, I, you know, there are things I like, like I like talking to, on the phone to people. So of course, like that brought me joy, but the job and the burnout started to outweigh all of that. Um, so yeah, that was yeah. really the, the moment where I was like, okay, there, there's some things at play here that need to be addressed. Yeah. So am I hearing you right that it was, was it more so the, those tasks that you thought were, was it something about the task or was it the fact that just the misalignment and your burnout was making you pissed off or irritated toward any task? That's it. It was the misalignment of the burnout. Whereas any task, any task that I even liked doing, I was like, oh, how dare they ask me to do that? Like, no, that's just because I was so, I was so burnt out and so tired and my energy was so not in the right place. And yeah, definitely the second part of what you just said. Okay. So then in your own words, because, you know, burnout, burnout's fascinating because so many people experience it, the symptoms present differently, mm -hmm. but oftentimes mm -hmm. it's some form of similar misalignment. Mm -hmm. So what would you, in your own words, what was the misalignment for you specifically? I think the misalignment was, this is a good question. I, I, I don't think that it was expectation related where I had done a lot of the growth and the reaching for specific jobs because it was expectations that I thought I should and I felt exhausted by doing a job where I was like, I don't think a nine to five in front of a computer is it for me. I was feeling very tumultuous about like the amount of time I would spend on screens, the amount of hours I would be plugging away, the like kind of assumed always availability of my own personhood that felt really, really bad. Um, and does that make sense? Hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I think so. Okay. And so is it, yeah. So you were, you were, it sounds as though you were noticing that, especially like the drain of sitting nine to five in front of a computer screen, there's just something that did not connect with you about that. There was not, there was something unrewarding about right. that. Yes. And I think I, I struggled to, um, I loved the companies I worked for and I don't want to like, you know, be harsh on them, but I also wasn't extremely motivated to work for companies where I, I think I was getting to the point where I was, I wanted to work for something that was like bringing me light and, um, a mission that I was really excited about. Um, and again, like the companies I worked for were great. They were, you know, Lime was, um, you know, doing low income programs was fantastic, but I wanted, I wanted more. I, and like something different. And instead of putting myself in should of, I should work for these companies. They're growing fast. They're, um, you know, big names. That's great. I am feeling pulled towards the smaller, um, potentially more mission driven, uh, companies. Totally. That makes sense. Yeah. And it's, <clears throat> it's cool too, to loop it back to the fact that you had been following something of a checklist 
mm-hmm. expectations mm-hmm. of at least what you thought or was taught was like the definition of your career and success that you're supposed to get to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm going to, I'll fill in the blank for, for the audience because like, it's clear now knowing you. And if anybody takes a look at your Instagram or your brand at all, that you need freedom, you need you you cannot be confined. <laughs> yeah, I definitely I struggle with that. I I want stability, but I need like some level of freedom, a lot of creativity, a lot of just like autonomy to go and be and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I since I know you, I think the stability just means that you're working, you know what you're working on or you know like you just need some kind of like consistent direction of what the work is like serving but exactly yep yeah (laughs) awesome um great so then yeah and I think that's a an important point to hold on to for a minute for the audience too because for those people who are experiencing burnout Mm -hmm. burnout oftentimes sneaks up on people which is ironic too, because like people know that they might hate their job <laughs> for a really mm-hmm. long time and then burnout doesn't actually occur until a year later. And then, then they either really have health issues or they finally quit mm-hmm. their job, right? And so I think it's really important to remind everybody that like you were feeling that misalignment for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Well, I felt the misalignment for a really long time and I did something about it for the first time. I like quit Lime and I was like, right before the pandemic, I was like, now is my time. I'm gonna figure out everything I wanna do. I'm gonna, te- I'm gonna test being more independent, more free. And then the pandemic hit and I totally spiraled and was like, no, I need stability. I need to know that, um, you know, I'm good at something. I um, want to feel familiar and I fell back into exactly where I left off, which at the time was like very grounding. And I was like, oh, it's safe. And like, I think we were all kind of looking for a little bit of safety during the pandemic. And I fell right back into the exact same cycle, the same work habits. I would, you know, get a new job, be really excited for a few months. And then I was like, oh God, this feels so bad. You'd see the defensiveness come up. You would see the lack of wanting to learn. And then I had to go through the whole cycle again, right when we started to talk it I was you know living in Seattle and I was like man I, this doesn't it doesn't feel right and I I feel bad I like took time but I didn't really take time and I was scared to make the jump again because would I just be pulled back into this vortex which is scary but yeah when you feel it and you don't do something about it it just kind of like you cycle through it until you actually do something yeah yeah (laughs) which is scary which is so scary Mm -hmm. and like sometimes you fall back into it and you have to be like wait stop this is I'm doing the exact same thing I've been doing you know Mm -hmm. it's okay to mess up and to to like default back to old behavior when it feels safe like just gotta catch it yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. and it comes you know and it comes from those expectations that you think that you need to be meeting or the fear of setting new expectations for yourself mm-hmm. because there's a big wide world and it's scary when there are no there's no like direction for yeah you. and like candidly I'm going through the same cycle now that I'm back in North America where I'm applying to jobs and I'm like what what am I what am I doing like I'm doing the same thing because it's a familiar place I'm looking for that direction and I had to stop myself and pull myself back a few times 
Um, and thankfully I have a partner who's like, wait, like Liz, he's seen me through both of them. He's like, Liz, what are you doing? Like, you're, you're doing the thing again. I'm like, crap. Like it's, <laughs> it's hard to catch yourself, especially when you're decades in the making of like this, you know, your personality and your understanding of how things should be done or could be done or would be done is, you know, pretty baked in. So you have to just give yourself grace. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's, it, that's funny. It's like an American made pattern. You're back in North America and it just repeats. I feel like immediately they're like, welcome back to the American dream. You are going to have, you're going to get married. You're going to have kids. You're going to, you know, retire and die. And you're not like, there's going to be no present living. It's just going to be future and past. Good yep. luck. Yep. Here's your job yeah. application. Yeah. Here's your job application. Here's 18 recruiters in your inbox. And like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So, you know, because of that sort of checklist that so many people kind of inherit from from the older generation, there's oftentimes a very confusing idea of what success is, mm. what success means. And to to speak candidly for myself too, like my parents were great. I have a phenomenal relationship with them. I'm very lucky. And they always wanted me to, you know, do well in school so that I get into a good college and then do well in college and just get good grades and do well in college. So I get a job, get a good job. So they were, their kind of idea of success was bent on this idea of just like do well to get to this next level of just some kind of security or just predictability of whatever career looks like. But it was pretty, but it was ambiguous. I never asked them to like define success for me. And they never told me you need to get exactly straight A's so you go to this exact Ivy League school so that you can get this exact kind of job so the criteria wasn't there there's just this idea of success that I kind of found myself thinking I needed to pursue Mm -hmm. right so what was that like for you since you were following this checklist and then you attached yourself to the work what was the definition of success then and what is it now for you Mm, so it's interesting. My parents were also very similar. Um, you know, get good grades in high school, be a good student, uh, go to college, which I originally like was a little apprehensive about. I wasn't super stoked on college. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, you know, transferred in the middle of my freshman year for, for love, um, which did not work out obviously. Cause I was, <laughs> you know, 18 and it was my first love. Um, but my parents were always really supportive of, um, you know, very ambiguous, just like you kind of like be successful, but like, you know, follow your dreams, which like, what what does that mean when you're 18 years old? And then, you know, you graduate college and you're like, I, I majored in philosophy and I'm like, I, uh, now what? Um, and I didn't know what to do. And I knew I didn't want to go back to school. I'm like, I made it through. I'm good. I'm done. But I knew like making money was kind of the driver it's like get a good job where you can make money and like support yourself and be like a functioning adult and and human I would say that was kind of the biggest guidance and then Mm -hmm. as for like Silicon Valley um I started to make friends in Washington DC when I lived there and my partner at the time was very into startups and I saw that as like oh that's what success means is to work for like an early stage startup, um, maybe dabble in, you know, having my voice heard at a, a low level, like, could I get to like an exec and have their ear? And I worked for like a really small company in Chattanooga and then eventually 
you know, went out west, but success to me was always defined by the people around me instead of what I thought success was. So for my friends in DC, it was like a good job and potentially working for a Silicon Valley company or a startup. And then for my parents, it's making good money. And I never sat back and was like, wait a second, what do I think of as success? And I still don't know if I have a strong definition, but I would say success nowadays is like, if I can slow, and it's a daily success, if I can slow down and be present and, um, you know, be a part of a community and make other people um, feel heard and loved, then that's success. That's it. Like that's, that I'm doing, I'm, I'm, then I'm, I'm winning. Um, and you know, I would say like not having a non-successful day is like getting wrapped up in the past or wrapped up in the future and like letting it completely train wreck my whole day or like train wreck my attitude towards someone else or getting caught up in like comparison or jealousy or fears of other people's opinions. That's, that's like failing to me. And again, I'm human. I do it all the time. Um, but success is really just more of a daily, a daily thing. I don't, I don't have any like big life, end of life success um, markers. I think, I don't, I don't think I will have one. I think it's just kind of like seeing what happens. And then when I get towards the end of life, maybe I'll have more, more of a specific, <laughs> yeah, list. Yeah. So in like 60 years, we'll, we'll, we'll re-record an episode. Just see how it goes, see how it went. Yeah, hopefully 60 or 80 years from now, I'll be like, you know what, Taylor? Like, I know exactly what success means. Yeah. (laughs) You'll be like, I can finally answer your question. (laughs) Oh God, that'd be great. That's funny. But that's, you know, I know that it's kind of like a trap even to ask the question like I did, because for people like yourself who are on such a long and continuous journey of self-exploration, like you said, success can change every day. Mm-hmm. It can change by the hour. You might get a phone call of a new opportunity. Success is totally new, mm-hmm. you know, and, or you might find that job that you truly love or what have you. And it's like, boom, move into that success has changed. Right. Um, so I love that. And I, I want that to be permission to anybody who hears mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. that success can change and it can be personalized and you can change it however many times you want. Yeah. I see that and raise it as like fluid is a good thing. If you're fluid and changing, you were human like that to me, I just feel like I learned this where it's like, Oh, I'll say something, you know, three months ago and then I'll completely change my opinion and be like, you know what? New information. I've changed what I think. Um, and I've always held myself to the standard. I'm like, oh, I made this claim. I have to be this person or I have to be this way or think this thing. But like having the permission to be a fluid changing human is so freeing. And like anyone that's like holding you to the stake of being like, well, you said this one thing, like maybe, you know, think about that relationship because that's not, that's not fair. And that's also like, we're, we are human. We, we change a lot, a lot. <laughs> Constantly constantly all the time <clears throat> yeah and this actually leads me to the next topic that I'm super excited to hear your take on because I heard on a podcast recently and of course I mean I hear this all the time in the self-help world too of like we humans we need consistency and mm-hmm. we need unpredictability mm-hmm. you know we need the unpredictability to help us grow but we also <clears throat> our brains love routine we love predictability we love 
control <laughs> to an extent. Mm -hmm. And um, so what the what I heard and someone worded it really well is that we love having this consistent idea of ourself. Mm. Like we like to think that we have a consistent self that mm -hmm. it's like, oh good, tomorrow I'm gonna wake up and I'm gonna be the same person as I am today. Huh. Almost as like this bedrock foundation yeah. of safety. Okay. Right? right. But to your point, we are changing every second. Our yep. molecules and everything, everything is changing every second as we're mm -hmm. taking in stimuli. And so this concept of the self, which is obviously examined throughout philosophy and religion and everything is so transient. Mm -hmm. And that's part of why so many people have such a hard time with this idea of having a consistent self, because it's like, ah, I can't hold on. You know, it's like a hot yeah. potato. It's like constantly yeah. trying to like hop out of your hands. And so the reason I thought of this for you is because, you know, there's this, <laughs> there's the humorous sort of stereotype about millennials and people like in our overall age bracket that we yep. are the generation that loves to just go out and find ourselves. Yes. Right. <laughs> we, that's it's like, true. it's like our motivation. And, and I know I went to school with a guy who wrote an amazing book and he just like walked across the, he walked around the world, like not around the world, around the country after he graduated. His name is Andrew Forstoffel. And he made a hilarious comment um, in a speech I heard him give one time where his mom, like he graduated from a liberal arts college with me and mm -hmm. liberal arts is the same kind of thing of setting you up to go find yourself. And, uh, yep. and he told his parents, yeah, I'm going to go walk across the country mm -hmm. and just talk to people, see what experience I have for myself. Yep. And I forget the reaction, but obviously the parents were a little surprised that it wasn't like, you're not getting a job. I'm like what? Yeah. What? So, so anyway, so there's this millennial kind of stereotype about finding yourself and how the older generation like doesn't really understand that because it's so much more about the checklist you brought up. Yep. You though, like you are an example of like someone who is every day actively and, and like showing the process of finding yourself because you're expressing it on your social media, in your blog, everything. Mm -hmm. And so how do you personally reconcile with that? Because like you fall, you fall into that category of like a millennial who's just out finding yourself who quit the, quit the grind, mm -hmm. but you're doing it in such like an epic and specific and like public deep way. So how do you mm. reconcile that? <laughs> it's a great question. So I'm going to touch on so many th of the things you just said. Um, sure. I think it's the basic human needs. There are like five of them. And you're right. It's stability and also like spontaneity. And these two things are like the biggest battles in my mind where part of me like desperately craves grounding and stability. And the other part is like, absolutely not every, so I, every two weeks, I think I go through a cycle. I'm like, I need to, I need to be grounded somewhere. I need to like settle. And then I'll spend two weeks there and I'm like, oh my God, this is way too much time. I should leave. I need to go somewhere. <laughs> so like, I feel that on a deep level, but I, it's interesting. I also think, you know, waking up and knowing that you're, that you're like a consistent being. It's like, I, I, I try to not put myself in that box, but I try the consistent mindset that I try to keep myself in is that I might not be the same person when I wake up, but I know I'm going to be okay. Like every day, I just need to know that like I, no matter what happens, like I'm okay. Like 
that is my consistent stability that no matter what situation I find myself in, like I'm going to have my breath, I'm going to be okay. And that's, that's like my base level. And I, um, it's been a really hard time to, I, I say it. And even now I'm like, I know that I struggle to, to know that because you know, our minds are dangerous places that can play tons of tricks on us and make us think the worst scenarios. But in terms of reconciling, um, you know, the finding yourself and then not kind of falling into the, the checklist. I think I, when I originally quit my jobs and, you know, try to disengage and disentangle myself from that job identifier, I was like going out and looking to find myself. And it's been a year now, like I I have been, or 10 months since I, I quit and I've been finding myself and I'm, I'm finding that actually actively going out and searching is not it for me. I just want to be myself. Um, and that's an everyday mm. examination of being like, well, who, who do I want to be today? Like, am I, you know, a trail runner? Am I a writer? And like letting myself be myself is a way of finding myself. That sounds like very meta, but I actually think that is the healthiest way to find yourself is to just let yourself be um, which again, way easier said than done, but like take it moment by moment, day by day, be like in the morning, like, I just want to have a slow morning. And like, that doesn't need to be every day. You could have a early wake up call tomorrow and go for a run or there's just a lot more flexibility and a lot more, um, like you have less of a mental load when you just stop searching and let it happen. Cause like your body and your, who you are, like will exist no matter what you're searching for. If you're always looking forward, you're missing the exact person you're being right now in this search. Sure, I'm a searching person, but like that's not the only part of me. Um, mm -hmm. And hopefully that made sense. That wasn't just like a very roundabout, like high level philosophical way of describing it. No, 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 no. Like I love the way that you just described that actually. Oh, like, thank you. That's, yeah. Cause you're the first person I've really asked that question of like this idea of finding yourself. Whereas so many people that I talk to and myself included are kind of in the same bucket as you are of like wanting to learn more about who we are and be ourselves and do the things that we find fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard. So we need, that's why I'm asking this question just because of like to help other people feel comfortable in your words, being yourself or being themselves. Yeah. But right. I love like, that. Like that finding being, finding something to do that's fulfilling is like not a future thing. It's right now. Like what are, what would fulfill you right now? And sure we do exist in a world where jobs are normal and like jobs are a big part of it and making money is important to live. Like it doesn't have to be a job. It could be a job and you could create your own. Like there's just endless opportunities. And I think one thing why our generation struggles so much is we don't have mentors who are, who have done it before. Like our parents have followed a very strict script mm. and like they don't understand finding themselves because they've done it, you know, their way. And our generation is looking for like someone to guide us. We're kind of just like blindly going out, but instead of just like taking a step back and being like, Hey, what do, what do I want? Who am I right now? We're looking for an answer like our parents would have, or our parent parents would give us, which is like, here's what you're looking for. Here's your thing. When in reality, mm -hmm. we're not looking for one thing. We're looking for almost like a continually changing path forward, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, the whole, the fulcrum of my work with people is to help them figure out what is that, I call it their purpose, but like, what is their, what is the thing that they are serving underneath everything that they do? Yeah. And that's the thing that can then be applied to countless careers. Right. You know, as, so as long as you're serving that thing underneath, you can have 25 jobs throughout your life. Right. And it's, it's fine. just a means to do it. It's, it's a means to like serve that deeper calling, that like thing that sets your soul on fire. It doesn't have to be a job. It doesn't have to be a thing. It's just a means. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that. <laughs> and this is, I mean, this is also helpful to just that idea of just be yourself. And that's the way that you're quote unquote finding yourself. Because since I've consumed a lot of your content, I've read a lot of your writing your process seems like the expression of mm. yourself, or I should say, as you are being yourself, and then you express what you want to express that day on your yeah. post. That's how, like, that's this process that you're talking about. That's the self-exploration process that you're talking about. Of like, be yourself and express yourself, and then mm -hmm. be yourself and express yourself. Right. And it's, it's funny because when I first started writing, I had very prescriptive specific topics that I would, that I'd write about, like, here's what I'm going to write about. And as I let that go, I let myself just kind of write whatever I was feeling and let it be whatever it was, I was in the moment. Am I feeling poetic? Do I want to write poems? Am I feeling like a, like a poet? Am I feeling like I really need to talk about shame? Cause I'm feeling really like shameful. Either way, it was like, my main driver was finding a way to use my voice to share human experiences. Like that seems to be like a very specific purpose, but I really want to share and like, you know, I, I know vulnerability is such a hot topic right now. And everyone's like, vulnerability, it's amazing. Everyone should be doing it. But like, truly, I, I, yeah, I really thrive off of, of doing that and sharing and kind of like breaking down the walls. So like writing for me is such a, a means, um, to do that. Uh, and that could be also, it doesn't have to be writing. It could be, you know, having a chat with a friend or, you know, so many other things. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought up vulnerability because I have a question oh, about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously separate from the fact that it's trendy, I think vulnerability still, I think the word authenticity, mm. I think that's even more trendy than yeah. vulnerability because authenticity has so much more room for interpretation. Mm -hmm. Whereas vulnerability, I feel like, like people are so scared of being vulnerable that mm -hmm. it's almost like vulnerability is not like the trendiness doesn't outweigh like it's real actual like importance mm -hmm. because like authenticity authentic, can be like, yeah. Interpreted a lot of different ways. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So for you, um, I guess my first question is, well, no, I'm going to stay on vulnerability for a second. So for you, because your content is so vulnerable, like, yeah, you talk about shame for three days in a row, or you talk oh about, you talk about how hard you are on yourself, or you talk about, and like, you know, issues in the relationship or something that you are taking responsibility for. I mean, that's extreme public vulnerability. Mm -hmm. So compare that to someone who doesn't want to be that vulnerable but you know this is the Liz that's in a parallel universe that's not being that vulnerable but still showing the pretty pictures that mm -hmm. you post 
still mm-hmm. posting maybe something in the caption related to shame, but not telling the deeply personal experience. Mm-hmm. So for you, like, why and how did you take that leap to not only just start showing more of your journey and just sharing little thoughts? Why did you jump all the way to like totally raw, totally mm-hmm. open, totally vulnerable publicly? Yeah. So I used to be, you know, posting a pretty picture, maybe like dabbling in a couple of comments or, you know, having a caption that would be just scratching the surface. And I want to say that it was like fall of 2018 that I was like, you know what? I wrote more and I kind of, I don't remember, there wasn't like a specific post where I was like, I'm going to share more, but I slowly started to ease into sharing more of the hardships um, and Mm. showing a lot more of the emotion. Um, And to be fair, I'm going to be totally honest. Like I had crazy pushback. Like I had very good friends. Like even one of my best friends was like, you're sharing too much on Instagram. And I was like, holy shit. I was like, sorry, language. But like, I, it it like, it, it took me back. I was like, whoa, wait a second. Like, am I sharing too much? Is this vulnerability being received poorly? But for me, with those comments came the comments from, honestly, mostly perfect strangers who were like, wow, thank you for sharing. I feel like I've had a similar situation. And as I continued to share and you know, show up with radical truth, I have been met with the most incredible radical truth in return. I've had people reach out and, and, and tell me their secrets. I, and I'm, I'm a stranger on the internet and they send me DMs that are long and beautiful and heartfelt. And I don't think I would have that. I don't think I would have those conversations if people didn't see me doing it first. If, and I, I firmly believe that like we lead by example. And if I want to attract and, and be around people who are willing to do you know, the inner introspective viewing and, and thinking, then I need to do it. I need to, I need to share it. And like Instagram didn't start out as like this, you know, um, journal-esque form for me, but it, it transformed into that. And it became really cathartic for me to put it out there, knowing that I'm going to make some people uncomfortable, but the people who I want are to be there, they're going to feel at home. They're going to feel like, I'm a friend or I'm, you know, someone that they can, can look to and be like, oh, well, if Liz is sharing, I can share. If, if Liz can, can do this, then I can do this. I can think about this. I should be thinking about this. Again, don't shut yourself, but like, you know, something along those mm-hmm. lines where I, I really wanted it to become a safe place, a vulnerable place. And vulnerability is so scary, but radical truth, like it sets you free. Radical acceptance sets you free. And, um, yeah, I, I just, I think it attracts the people that you, who also want to be radically free in that, in that sense. Yeah. I mean, that's beautiful. And I think I love, I don't know. I don't know the trajectory of like when you're following, especially on Instagram, like really started to grow or anything, but at least from this past year, I know just from my own my, my own psych research that that kind of openness that you're talking about of like that confidence of just putting yourself out there, trying to connect with others, trying to share more of yourself, um, especially around mental health. That's what was closing a lot of people down, that Mm -hmm. fear. 
And what happens is when we don't let ourselves be open and vulnerable, we just kind of close ourselves down and we isolate and we disconnect. And so it's constantly this, you're, you're constantly resisting the closing down. That's what vulnerability is. You need to keep practicing vulnerability so that you don't ever close down, Close, right? It's yes. always this, like, it's trying to constrict. <laughs> right, because it's so scary and it's so much easier to just like close in and not share or push feelings down instead mm -hmm. of putting it out there and potentially, you know, getting bad feedback or having someone be like, hey, I don't like this version of yourself. Or like, you know, that's yeah. hard when you're, you're like, here, here's who I am, here's how I feel. And they're like, mm, no, and that's, that's painful, but it's like, you know, you're, you need to be true to yourself because that's, you know, the most important person, which sounds narcissistic, but it's not, I swear. Oh God, no, it's not. <laughs> no, you need to be true to yourself. Absolutely. Otherwise you won't be happy. Um, right. And so I'm going to put a pin in this part of the conversation because I want to, I want to challenge you in, in part in the beginning of this. So before you got to that part where I guess yeah, yeah. So before you got to the part where your friends were negatively reacting and then total strangers were positively reacting, what was it for you that got you over that hump of just like posting some thoughts and some feelings to, okay, let's talk about all of it? it so it was really cathartic for me. Um, and to be fair, like once I got bad feedback, I stopped posting. Like I, I rolled everything way back. I, I can remember I took a trip to, with a friend to Bend, Oregon. And I was like, I think I just need to stop. I need to stop sharing as much. I need to just roll things back. And I, I spent the weekend thinking about it. And on Sunday, I posted how I was, I, I shared my journey of, of like, I got negative feedback. I thought I was going to do something about it, but I need to like be able to set myself free. And I can, I can picture the photo in my head. I'm like, that was the moment where I was like, you know what, this is more important for my mental health. And for, I feel compelled to do this and it feels really good and really right. Um, and that was my moment where I was like, okay, you know what? It's cathartic. It's not hurting anyone. Sure, people are judging, but it's it was really it felt really really good and right in my body and in my mind. After I after I very much tried to take time away from it, like when you just make a decision and you're like, I'm not going to do this thing, and you sit in it and you're like, this isn't right. Like I took the time, I took the space, and I was like, you know what? We're going to stick with it and uh -huh. disappoint them because I'd rather disappoint them than disappoint myself. Wow. Love. Yep. <laughs> That's yep. perfect and <laughs> beautiful. And again, I mean, I think that's such <clears throat> what's really cool to, to like encapsulate this for people who are listening is like, if you want to get to this point of like, you know, being yourself, trusting yourself, expressing yourself truthfully, what you've described is that it didn't happen overnight it you started to kind of test the waters by posting pictures and a couple thoughts in the captions and then you had that moment of like ooh should i even be doing this mm -hmm. but then you listened to your gut mm -hmm. and you said there's there's something that i need to be saying and what's cool is for you that next post was like yeah. the linchpin you know that unleashed the waterfall basically mm -hmm. that's yeah and I think that's just exactly. so important for people to know because a lot of people 
I mean, it takes forever to get to the point of being able to listen to your gut and mm-hmm. having the, the bravery just to start posting anything. Yeah. But for people to trust the process and trust themselves enough to get to that post that you, you then did, whatever that mm-hmm. post looks like for them yeah, or whatever it is, version of expression it is that, yeah, I mean, it takes a lot of courage and, but it's a process. It is, it takes a ton of courage and it's a process, but it's also, it kind of goes back to every day you're going to wake up and you're going to be okay. Like if you put yourself out there, no matter what happens, no matter what response, like know you're going to be okay and you can handle it. So that's, it, it takes a long time to get there, but like the okayness is very much there as soon as you want to take it. Um, and again, you know, it, it's a process. It's the journey to, to like really sit in that, but yeah. 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 And I think, you know, I didn't, I realized I didn't comment on that before. I love that idea of, or that concept of just waking up and just the reminder of like, okay, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. Here's that reminder. Because like, let's be honest, there's so many people in the world who wake up and even if they're quote unquote, okay, in that moment, Mm -hmm. like they're alive, they're healthy, they may not be safe. A lot of people live in unsafe situations, but it's hard for people to separate this idea of being okay, Mm -hmm. like them in their body, in their health, in their awareness versus Mm -hmm. being safe. Absolutely. There is very much a difference. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the only, the only kind of like teaching point with that, of course, is that if you're able to have that awareness of the fact that you're okay, you're going to be better equipped to handle whatever you need to handle that day to get to safety to do what you yeah absolutely it's 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 a inside internal like i'm okay versus external external is like it's like step one are you okay in yourself and your body and your breath and your moment and then if you know that you you're if you're okay and you check the box there you're like all right now i can move forward with moving to safety or getting to a place where um your outside world is also okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you just gave a little formula for it. I love it. Oh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even need to say anything to that. <laughs> People should just yeah. write that down. <laughs> that's great. Um, and another piece, I mean, I'll add like the next, the next piece to that too, is like people want to have some kind of light at the end of the tunnel as well, mm-hmm. of like what they're working towards or why they're even there why they're even expressing themselves more truthfully to begin with. And so for you and what I'm super excited to announce now is that you have now offered your very first tour guiding trip to Patagonia to hike Mm -hmm. the the multiple ranges in Patagonia sometime next year, which we'll put the link, don't worry, in the show notes. (laughs) So this is definitely a shameless plug. Um, (laughs) But I know a lot of our conversations have been like, you've been continuing to practice this discipline of self-expression, not knowing where it's going, not knowing if you want to monetize anything, not knowing if you want to turn it into kind of like a bigger brand of any kind. And so this is a two-part question. So A, what has that been like for you motivation-wise when you haven't really known where it's going, but you've still gotten up and you've still been disciplined to express yourself? Mm -hmm. But then what's it like for you now, now that you've taken this leap and you're offering this guided trip that you get to lead? 
yeah, so the first, so part A, um, I still don't know if I'm out of the weeds in terms of like getting up and feeling like I have like this light at the end of the tunnel. I think I don't sure, know sure. even it, with this beautiful offering that I'm very excited about. I don't know if it's it. Um, I was actually super hesitant. It took me months to commit to it. Like, oh my God, it was like a very long conversation with um, the company Trova Trips. And I, I, I think the, the big thing for me is continuing to write and continuing to post. And I feel like through that, I am, am gaining the insight to be like, okay, that's a big driver for me. Why is that such a big driver? Maybe there isn't a light at the end of the tunnel, but pulling it back to that day to day, I think maybe the light at the end of the tunnel is that I get to wake up every day and occasionally write and occasionally do all these things, but it's, it's tricky. I, I try not to get too caught up in needing that, um, the light at the end of the tunnel. Cause the tunnel's really cool. I'm like, I might as well just sit in here and like the dark is great. And there are like, there's stars and like, I think that's where I'm at right now, where I'm like, even if there's no light at the end, there is beauty on the walls around me. Um, and oh my god, I love <laughs> whatever that. that <laughs> whatever that means, I feel like such a like kind of depressing, but the darkness can be really enlightening. Um, and I think that's just yeah. where I'm at. And although this trip is like, I'm so excited. Of course, I have like incredible imposter syndrome where I'm like, oh my god please let this trip be like amazing. And, um, everyone comes and I am what they expect. Um, of course there's like that, like, you know, a little bit of pressure I'm putting on myself to be, you know, what everyone kind of expects, but I'm just going to show up as myself, be who I am. Like there's, there's no point in hiding it. And like, hopefully that will free others to also show up being themselves, be vulnerable, be honest, be weird. So it's exciting. I, I, I'm not sure if this is going to be like kind of a, a long-term pipeline, maybe more trips to come. This is like going to be a fun experience. So it's not for a full year, which is also like, I'm not used to planning that far in advance. I would say my travel <laughs> schedule is usually a two week minimum. And I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's good. And a maximum of maybe a month. So it'll be really interesting. Um, I'm not sure if that answered your question, but <laughs> yeah, no, it did. I mean, I love, I love the way you worded that. So two, two things really stood out. The, the first is that there doesn't need to be a full light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. And it's true. I mean, I, I, I hope I didn't try to imply this to so just that this trip is finally like you've made it Something. <laughs> <laughs> no. right now. I mean, I just think it's such a cool and extremely logical step because if anybody's familiar with your brand, you are hiking, you're trail running, you're, you're climbing all these mountains all the time, kind of thing. Like that's, that's your home. Mm -hmm. And so this trip or this next step just makes such perfect sense. But I love that reminder that there doesn't need to be a full light. There could just be like a little glimmer of at least the next light. But my favorite part of what you said is that the tunnel is pretty great too. The tunnel is great. It it feels very safe because it's like, it's your go-to right like you're you're moving forward no matter what right but like this is kind of like me getting off at an exit being like do I want to stay at this exit I don't know I could always just come back to the tunnel and like keep going a little bit further get off another time and I think that's been the most like I can I have to remind myself that like I can get off you know this highway or this you know in this tunnel test things get back on the highway worst comes to worst like 
get a little respite, a little bit of a glimmer, you know, get, go to a gas station and get a good snack and then be like, well, you know what? Like, don't love this town. Let's keep (laughs) going to the next or, you know, whatever. Yeah. I love it. I love the metaphor dive. And it's, yeah, sorry, that was deep. And it, and no, 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 that's fine. And I'm going to take it even further because there was a, a group I spoke to a few months ago where I talked about how I use the train metaphor, that if we are constantly just like, if we start, if we're thinking we're in the back of a train and we mm-hmm. need to get to the front of the train mm-hmm. and we're so hyper-focused on getting to the front car of the train while the train is in motion, mm-hmm. we're just going to barrel through all the other cars past all the people like knocking luggage out of the way just to get to the front. But then when we get to the front, we're still by ourselves. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But if we take our time, go from one train to the next or one car Mm -hmm. to the next, we will see what kind of luggage it is. We'll get to meet new people. We'll get to take a look Mm -hmm. outside the window, new opportunities arise when we are enjoying the process. Yes. A hundred percent. Yes. Which I think is, I mean, you're, I think you're a really good example of that too. And that this trip next year, so many opportunities may come just because that's a light at the end of the tunnel, Mm -hmm. but so many more things might arise before you even get to that trip or beyond it. So Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I love it. Um, Okay. So since we're, you know, philosophizing using metaphors and everything, <clears throat> something I do want to go back to is that you, you majored in philosophy, you said, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which I don't think I knew that, but I still hang myself up on the thing that you have on your website, which says that you're a recovering philosopher, because <laughs> let's be honest, like we're not, we're never recovering philosophers. <laughs> if you're a philosopher, you're going to continue to philosophize. And yep. so um, so I guess I'll just ask about that. So like, what do you mean by a recovering philosopher? And I, and I asked this in the context of so many people who find value in self-reflection and mm-hmm. reflecting on their psychology, on the philosophy of their lives, have you so, and because it never ends, I'm just curious your, your take on it. You know, that phrase really, it really makes people hate, like they get really hung up on it. I'm not going to lie. You are <laughs> yeah. not the first person. Like, what the hell does that mean, Liz? I'm like, well, so, okay, here's my thought process. I, you know, majored in philosophy. I learned so much of the art of thinking and I agree, like life is a series of beautiful reflections and growth. But the reason why it's recovering is because it's almost been detrimental to the point where I am an overthinker. I struggle to be present because I'm constantly sinking into that logic brain where I'm like, something needs context, something Mm. needs to be explained, I need to understand this, which is, again, curiosity is an incredible thing, but it becomes um, more of a hindrance and less of a tool when it's constant and it's like kind of this fierce like pull to like, have all the answers, have all the knowledge. And someone gave me a great example that like self-growth is like a tree. Um, it's gonna grow no matter if you pay attention to it or not, you're gonna grow, you're gonna learn, you're gonna do the things and like you're gonna be fed light and, and all of the nutrients you need whether you're actively making yourself grow or not. And a lot of the times I fall into this category of forced growth and it, which I kind of attribute a little bit to that philosophy background where I'm like, 
Well, the more I know, the better I'll be at living. It's like, well, you're, you know, you're doing a good job just doing it, just letting yourself, it goes back to just letting yourself be, which I think is tricky. So that's my <laughs> thought process behind it. I, I think sometimes the recovering is like letting yourself step back from the overthinking and the constant need to defend or to understand or to push yourself in some way instead of just existence is good. Your existence is good. How you exist is good. Take a breath, Liz. Yeah. 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 I like that. I appreciate, I appreciate mm-hmm. that answer because I can definitely relate. Um, mm-hmm. In, in college, I studied neuroscience, psychology, and philosophy all oh. at the same time. <laughs> that's, that's a trio. Holy cow. It's, it's a trio. Cause it's like yeah. <clears throat> the way that I like thinking about it was that, you know, neuroscience was like the specific science. And then mm-hmm. psychology was like a mix of like the science with the philosophy and the oh theory, God. of course. And then philosophy was like all philosophy. So mm-hmm. holy moly. Yeah. So <laughs> there was, <laughs> and oh. especially because like I experienced um, my own experiences of like mental health issues in college, like my, my most mm-hmm. like concrete bout of it was in college while I was studying all that stuff. Oh my gosh. There's nothing more meta <laughs> than studying nope. neuroscience, psych, and philosophy while you're experiencing mental health issues. Right, right which is also very funny because you're like, I know what I'm doing, I know what's happening, but it doesn't make it make stopping or catching it or helping yourself any easier. So it almost like it makes it worse because you're like, I know what I need to do, but why can't? Why am I struggling? Like, oh. Oh yeah. Cycles. <laughs> yeah. And that was what was like, the good thing was that that, you know, I see that purely as like divine intervention that I was studying exactly what I needed to be studying in order mm-hmm. to equip me to learn how to treat myself basically. That, that does feel like incredible timing. Like can't yeah. make that up. You're no. definitely <laughs> meant to be there. You're meant to do all those things. Yep. Yeah, I jokingly talk about if I was studying like theater or English, I would not have been able to treat my <laughs> my experience the way that I did. No um, way. But I bring that up just to say that I can relate to you in that my coping mechanism, especially in college, was the overthinking, the over analysis, mm-hmm. the over philosophizing. Mm-hmm. It would become so heady. Mm-hmm. similar to what you said not not so much because I needed to solve something but just because I thought analysis was like the fun thing to do that right. makes me feel like I have worth or like I'm competent right. at something or whatever right it gives you the the like self-worth and like the the confidence to be like ha, yes I understand but like yeah uh-huh. exactly exactly yep. all the while you're neglecting your emotions you're neglecting Completely. like how you actually show up <laughs> absolutely yeah it's, it's very problematic <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's the if you talk to my longtime former therapist that was like the the topic of many many sessions so um yeah so I appreciate you bringing that up because it's because people need to know that there is a limit to the self-analysis and currently I'll say that I'm much much better at just living every day and just being aware of who I am what I'm presenting as each day 
And however, I do know that I still like the, the thing that I'm the, my, my trap, I'll call it my trap is yeah. that I love now, like thinking that there's a deeper meaning mm, to yeah. everything. <laughs> everything, everything needs context. Like everything I talk about, every theory, every emotion needs to have an explanation behind it. I'm like, oh, I'm feeling this because X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and oftentimes, and the problem is oftentimes there is something behind it, like an emotion. Mm -hmm. You can figure it Mm -hmm. out and you're like, all right, cool. That's, I mean, that's healthy. (laughs) That's called therapy. No, that is therapy. But, uh, but there are so many times where it's like, especially like, because I do this with my, my clients all the time. And I'm also spiritual in the sense and like religious and I'm always Mm -hmm. thinking, in this like existential terms. And so mm-hmm. there, I have to catch myself so many times over philosophizing about just a random thing that occurred. Yeah, me too. And I think where it's been detrimental for me is when I try and philosophize about my emotions instead of letting myself feel them. So if I'm feeling angry, mm. I'll like want to go into the whys and give context and explain it instead of just being like, no, I'm just allowed to be angry. And I'm like, just angry and I'm just frustrated. And like, I would just put it in a box and be like, oh, I have anger, not I'm angry. And that's been like the 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 tr- real struggle and the trap for me where I don't let myself actually feel it. I'll just explain it. And then I'm like, okay, well, we won't actually deal with it. We won't actually feel it. Let's put it away. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I'm, yep. I've been there too. It's the intellectualizing. <laughs> yes. It. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is an important, such an important defense mechanism for people to be aware of. And I actually made a video of this literally yesterday about how uh, people, so many people who are scared of the internal journey scared of the vulnerability, scared of self-awareness and reflection. They focus so much on what's outside of them. Mm-hmm. And in a way, what you're talking about is when, if you say I have anger, instead mm-hmm. of saying, I feel angry right now, if you say I have anger, it means that you're like externalizing it as like this thing exactly. that you have in your hand yeah. that you're not really taking ownership of. It's like a materialistic uh-huh. item, like this pen, you know? Right. And how dangerous that is to not let yourself feel it. Like, it's not dangerous, I shouldn't say that, but how much you're missing of the human experience when you're putting it outside and then blaming it on something outside. Like, oh, I'm angry because, I don't know, they ran out of dog food at the store. Like, what? Like, sure, I could be, I could be, you know, have that anger, but letting myself feel it for a minute is like a lot better than externalizing it. I think you said it way better than I did, but yeah. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, and the way that I put it in the video is that there are so many negative things that can happen Mm -hmm. if you keep externalizing, like it affects your relationships, it affects you at work, it just affects your, you know, physical health, like it turns into Mm -hmm. deterioration or harmful to your actual body. Um, but the bottom line of it is that it, it, um, impairs your ability to grow because mm-hmm. you need mm-hmm. you need the internal and the external in order to mm-hmm. actually grow as a person oh, yes beautifully said so important <laughs> so important yeah this is this is fun because I love <laughs> I love I mean so many people like philosophy but I think a lot of people get stuck 
liking philosophy for the reasons that you've said are sometimes detrimental. Interesting. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Has that been kind of a, what you stumbled across in, in your work? Like when people uh, start dabbling, like what happens? Yes. Yes. I mean, I won't say <laughs> philosophy specifically like you studied in college, but sure. definitely like there are there have been a lot of clients and I don't fault them for this, but there've been a lot of clients who will hire me for a couple of sessions thinking they want to work with me for a really long time. And they, they underestimate the emotional work of this work. Yeah. I mean, it's therapy. Right. And yeah, <clears throat> but these therapy. are people who, yeah. And these are people who the reason why they get shocked by that and, and back up and they can't handle it and need to stop is because they love self-reflection. They love mm. self-analysis. They love the philosophizing about themselves and their lives and concepts of happiness and success. Mm. But as soon as it gets too real and emotional, it's not the right time for them to be doing it. Yeah. Because it's like the the depth. The de it's like fun to swim in the kiddie pool. And then you're in the deep end. You're like, oh my God, I don't know how to swim. Get me out of here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's like it. to, to reduce it even further. It's like well, you and I can talk about what philosophers have said, but as soon sure. as it becomes something about us and our lives and us personally, it's harder. Mm -hmm. Much harder, much harder to, yeah. Especially to own up to it that a lot of those things and those thoughts, it's hard to admit where we want to be seen as you know perfect when we're just so very not perfect <laughs> yes <laughs> yes indeed mm -hmm. yeah um and because of that and because of you know a lot of what's holding people back is that insecurity that yeah. comes out or they're trying to protect their in or cover up the insecurity with philosophizing or focusing on the external yeah how how do you because this is an ongoing process all the time for everybody, but especially in your case, now that you have this trip that you're going to be leading, yeah. how do you just manage or deal with when your insecurities are coming up? Like you said, the imposter syndrome, like how are yeah. you handling it on a daily basis? Cause it's a year out. So you have a year to suffer from the imposter syndrome if you want to, <laughs> truly, <laughs> but then at a certain truly. point you have to get on the plane and do it. So, right. So, I, how are you facing this day after day? It, it is like, it is daily. Um, you know, I think giving myself grace on days when I'm feeling insecure and I voice it, like I will tell someone say, Hey, I'm not looking for a solution, but will you just listen to me vent about my insecurities? Like, I, I just need to tell someone, I just need to talk about it. And that being able to say it out loud, to point at it and go, insecurity, not most of those thoughts are, you know, hundred percent rooted in just like made up thoughts and stories and narratives that I'm telling myself that helps a lot. Um, mm. and then, yeah, just letting myself do that instead of being like, Oh, I shouldn't write the should word. I was like, I shouldn't feel these things. I'm like, no, like, of course I'm going to feel this. This is new. This is scary. And every day it's like, who knows? I might wake up feeling super confident and be like, this is it. Got, got a couple of bookings, feeling good. Or like, oh, no one booked. Like maybe I'm a failure. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe no one wants to travel with me. Right. And like, I've said those all out loud. I'll, I'll you know, tell my partner, I'm like, oh my God, no one booked with me. I don't know what this means. Like, am, is this a reflection on me? And just let myself talk it out. 
and say, yeah. okay, now you've had your moment to like bask in my like fears to let myself feel, feel the fears. And again, that even talking isn't feeling it all together for me. A lot of times I'll have to like take time by myself and process and just like take some breaths and, or go outside and, and let myself be in it. But, um, yeah, it's, it's daily. Um, insecurities is a big part of just my existence. You know, I, I, (laughs) and putting yourself out there and, you know, social media, all of that stuff is just like inherently scary and, you know, very tangible for people to see and to judge. And that's scary too. So just taking it day by day as much as I can. Nice. I love that. I love the, I love the way that I just love the simplicity of the fact that, you know, all you have to do is just reach out and say something to somebody. Yeah. So important. It really helps to get it off my chest instead of letting it just like spin around on the days I do that. I just let myself, it, it, it impacts everyone I touch. Like it shows up in really gross ways and really mean or like harsh or like grumpy ways. Even with the dog, I'll be like walking the dog and I'm holding <laughs> the leash tight. I'm like, Oh my God, I should have just like called someone and asked for help, which is hard. Um, but really important. Yeah. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. I talk, I try to talk about this a lot because asking for help is the thing that's taught so much about like, mm-hmm. you know, ask somebody for help, raise your hand, say that you need help. But what we don't talk about is the fact that people don't know how, uh-huh. because, and this is at least what I've found in my experience, because they don't know what they really need to ask help about they just Mm -hmm. know that they need some kind of help like something's wrong Mm -hmm. and so or how to ask for support like what kind of support are you asking for like what do you need right and a lot of people don't Mm -hmm. know that I mean like Mm -hmm. that's that's like sometimes an even bigger trap because if you say something to a friend or whatever and they don't know how to support you Mm -hmm. you don't know what support to advocate for I think your answer is fantastic because it gives people the permission to keep it as simple as saying, look, I just need to talk something through. I need to get Mm -hmm. something out of my head. I don't really know what kind of help I need, but I just need to say some shit. Mm -hmm. And I should be honest, it took me a really long time to figure out that that was a plausible source for help for me. Like I had to learn the hard way by like, having, having conversations with my partner and my partner giving me solutions. And I'm, I get really defensive. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, oh, you're, val- you're, you know, validating all of my fears, which is not true. Again, that's all a storyline, but I had to learn kind of the hard way where I'm like, oh, I'm actually not looking for any kind of solutions. You know, when I'm sharing this, I just want to vent. I'm like, I just want you to listen and be like, Hey, love you. Like, great. You're doing great. Like I'm here. Like <laughs> you're good. Like you know, stuff like that. And and saying that I'm okay. Like I had to try a bunch of different things before I learned, oh, this is what works best for me. Like, and that's really scary too, because you have to put yourself out there to try different things that might trigger you if you ask for help and they help you in the wrong way. Um, So being open to like different types of help is already hard. So it's like this double layer of like asking is hard, receiving in a way that might not do it for you is also hard. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, another way I like to think about it too is that whenever we need help, it's some kind of, it feels like a blockage. Like it feels like we're trapped or we're stuck or mm-hmm. something is holding us down or whatever. But what um, 
And so just speaking it out, because it's all just energy, like emotions are just energy, Mm -hmm. just blurting it out or journaling about it, like you do on a daily basis, you just have to do it publicly. (laughs) Um, And um, that just moves the energy. So it's Mm -hmm. like, I like to talk about it more as like this fluidity kind of thing. All you're trying to do is just achieve some fluidity. And then you can see what other help you need, what else needs to be done about it if you need another step or if that was it you just needed to speak it out and get it out and you're done I love yeah it's like let it flow and then also I think a good first step for anyone that's like oh I don't know who to talk to it's like therapy is the best way to start you're not putting it on family or friends you're not like you you have this third-party person you can be really honest and open with and say hey I don't know what I need help with can you help me can you help me think of how I can even be helped is like therapy was such a critical part of me being able to ask my friends and family and to build that like repertoire with them. So mm-hmm. therapy, let it flow, get it out. I love that whole analogy is perfect. <laughs> Good. Thank you. And that's a great little plug yeah. for therapy as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Had to get it in. Yeah. I, I completely agree. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> okay. So a couple couple kind of like quote unquote last questions because of course every question will could, could turn into its own full conversation but switching gears just slightly because of the fact that you have moved around a ton especially mm-hmm. in this last year um, your partner's work took you to Italy and then you spend a bunch of time in Austria and other parts of Europe now you're back in North America mm-hmm. since you're a constant wanderer you're an adventurer you're about to do this trip in Patagonia So what is your concept, or I should say, what is your definition of home? Mm. And part B is just how has that changed over time? That is a hard one. Um, And, you know, for two years, I haven't had a traditional home. I haven't had, um, I haven't been in a place for more than a couple of months. So during, um, the last year abroad in Europe. And then the year before that, kind of um, around the United States, I didn't, I don't think I knew what my definition of home was. Um, I think I was kind of searching for it. And, you know, I loved the idea of home being, um, you know, a person, right? That sounds so like lovey-dovey, like home is my partner. It's not, I love Taylor, yeah, my partner. Sorry, that was confusing, but I, uh, I, I actually realized like home is, is me. Um, it's my body, it's who I am. And it's always changing just like my environment. I think, I also think that it's not just a partner but it's a community. I have found that the places that feel the most like energetically right are the places where there are people who are interested in you, who love you, who will be there for you. Um, I think that's been a really big part of the journey. Um, the places that I haven't connected to people or have had like a, a really big language barrier, I, I haven't felt like home and I felt very chaotic and very like, um, just like energetically misaligned. And every time I get somewhere where I'm, there's someone who reaches out or we go to coffee or, you know, I go to a coffee shop and can speak English to someone or like can speak in a local language enough for them to show, you know, empathy and, and kind of a little bit of love. Those are the places that feel 
home, like home to me. Um, mm. Yeah, but primarily it's 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 within my own body in a lot of respect where it's like, this body is coming with me for the rest of forever. And <laughs> I, you know, wherever I go, it's going to be the same, same thing. Right. They say like, you know, you're, you're under the same moon, no matter where you are. And it's kind of that same yeah. thing for your body where this body's coming with me. And it, it does, if I get actively out externally activated, take a second, like, I, I know I'm going to be okay. That's, that's, that's it. That's home. That's that mm. okayness is home. I love it. Good for you. That's, that's such a great, yeah, that's such a cool, cool answer. And it's, yeah. So if I'm hearing you right, it sounds like it's a combo. I mean, it's always going to be like you in your Mm -hmm. physical body and like wherever you're taking your body that's home. But I like that. I like that you also add the importance of the community, just kind of connection in general. Like there's a specific form of connection that you find so grounding and comforting that -hmm. it feels like you know, the word belonging gets tossed around a lot. Yes. But it seems like that's kind of what you're talking about of like you belong to your body and that feels like home. And then there's that connection where you feel like you can belong with those other people or the community. Yes. And I, Mm. and I truly did think it was a romantic partner for a while. I did think it was, oh, the mountains anywhere. I'm like, oh, I mean, I do live in mountains. (laughs) Trust me. Like again, another romanticized version of what home I thought home should be. But like after experimenting and learning, it's really those two factors, belonging and self. Yep. That's awesome. That's great. So along these, along these lines, you're, how do you feel about the term nomad? And do you identify as a nomad? So I struggle with it. Um, because I think it's been glamorized in a lot of respects. I think digital nomad is like such a hot hashtag <laughs> and like everyone's like, I want to be a digital nomad. I'm like, yes, being nomadic is beautiful. Uh, I think it, it- By it, definition, you are a digital nomad because you I have know, a digital brand and you're all over the world. <laughs> I know, I know. I, yeah. I, I like really need to, actually someone told me recently a, a beautiful way of rephrasing it. Of course, I can't remember it in the, the heat of this moment, but- sure. <laughs> I um I struggle with it because I think it again it only show it like has this really positive light without showing any of the like deep challenges that come with it. I think if there was more um, vulnerability around what actually like a digital nomad life looks like, where it isn't just like beautiful coffee shops in Thailand or like you know, beautiful mountain photos, which I, I do have, but like, I, I like to say that, like, I also like deeply struggle every time I go somewhere where they can't speak, where people can't speak English, like learning languages is really hard for my brain. As much as I try, it's, it's super challenging. And when you're moving around Europe, it's like, oh, I'm speaking Italian. No, next week I'm speaking German. The next week I'm speaking French and my brain's all types of jumbled, but I think, and I want to show up in that culture as respecting them and trying to make an effort so that I can try and be like a good global citizen. But I think that's something that's kind of skirted over. It's just like beautiful photos and like opportunity to travel anywhere. And um, I, I, I don't know, I just struggle with digital nomad so much and I want to like have more uh, love for it since I, you're right, I'm, I'm literally doing exactly that, but um. <sighs> Yeah, it needs like a reckoning. It needs like a, 
like a de-glamorizing moment where also like people who don't do digital nomad, who if you got a beautiful, if you have a beautiful home in New York and you have a community, that is just as beautiful. I think right now it's like this weird ranking of like people who can travel anywhere, that's a dream. And I'm like, I also think it's really dreamy to have a community, have a home, have a place that you can be and like flow. Like there's, and I, I just think it's a lot of pandemic um, kind of reaction where we've spent all of our time at home and everyone's like, I'm so done. I want to travel. And I do think there's like a balance where it's like, you can have a home and still travel and that's still beautiful. You don't have to do it all the time. Um, For so sure. that's my rant on digital nomad. I am, I am definitely a nomad. I'm, I am curious. I, struggle to be settled for a long time. I know that I'm definitely looking for a home base um, so that I can have a base camp, have sanity, have a place that is my own community, I'm belonging. But I will always kind of be curious to travel. I think that's just been a part, uh, that's been an, a late life and awakening of being like, oh, in my late 20s, early 30s, being like, okay, I do really enjoy travel. I like having the cultural challenges. Um, but I do want to have like some form of stability for sure. Mm -hmm. nice. Sorry, that was a long ramble about <laughs> digital that's, that's fine. And it was great. Oh, <laughs> so, oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and, and that's, that's fine. I mean, there's a lot of pieces to that. And I think what you brought up is important that, and honestly, this could be, this could, and probably should be, um, uh, content for your posts too, about mm. how like, how non-glamorous being a digital nomad can be. And I think you already yeah. do. I think you already tow a really good line with that too, just in your honesty of like, hey, this is really hard. Or like, mm -hmm. hey, today was really hard. Even though I'm sitting here in Italy, yeah. like typing this with a, you know, with a beautiful view of the mountains, I'm still a human mm -hmm. being who's having facing like a really hard professional challenge today or whatever it is. Yeah. Something and like that. Even that's been tricky when I, I had a lot of angst, especially in Italy, because it was, um, you know, all Italian and I wasn't getting the nature that I deeply craved. But when I would, I was sharing kind of on a rep, like consistent basis that I was struggling and I got a lot of pushback being like, well, you're in Italy, like it's beautiful. The food's good. And it's like, yes, yes, it <laughs> is beautiful. A, and the food is <laughs> you're not a food blogger though. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a food blogger. <laughs> And it was just, again, you're always going to kind of have that pushback, but it was, it's hard to keep sharing when sometimes it's like people want to hear the emotions, but only like a little bit of it sometimes. So it's definitely been, it's been interesting. I, I want to keep sharing. It feels good to me to keep sharing, but it's, it's definitely been hard when, you know, it, again, it's that glamorized, but you're in Italy and I'm like, well, why don't you come and move to Italy for three months? See how you feel. Let's talk about it. Like, it's going <laughs> to yeah. be really hard. I'm like, it's going to be beautiful in so many ways, but it's going to challenge the core of your being a hundred percent. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Which brings you, brings us back to the most important reason why you're doing any of all this is just to return to who you are. Exactly. Not yeah, to strip it all away not to talk about how good the food is in Italy. I mean, like you, you could do a post about that, but like, sure. but that person who comments on that picture or whatever clearly doesn't know the purpose of your brand. Right. And it's like, uh, it's that wanting to simplify it almost like they see it as like, well, you're getting to live this dream life that so many people are getting to do. And like, 
a lot of times it's a reflection of their own kind of want or pull and be like, well, why aren't you grateful for what you have? And it's like, well, that's, that is, I am, but I'm also in the process of, like you said, un, un, unraveling, rediscovering, re-understanding, just being and letting myself feel the feelings, feel the emotions, feel the pull. And yeah, that's, that's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. That's beautiful. The way that you just ended that is like the perfect summary of like what we, the journey that we all should be striving to experience. I'm just feeling the emotions, feeling the pull, feeling the energy, challenging ourselves, trying to return to our vulnerability. Yeah. Right. Which is a lot, a lot harder than just going and being a digital nomad and making it like that. That's it. Like that's you. It's like, well, you're more than that too. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And I really like how you described after the digital nomad portion of what, of your answer, you got back to just the, just the definition of nomad, which is the idea of being curious and just kind of going with the flow and moving somewhere else based on either need or desire. And Mm -hmm. it's funny because I considered myself nomadic in my early to mid twenties too, up until actually probably a few years ago. Um, just because I was comfortable, I would get bored easily, but more so I was comfortable with the idea after a year of like, yeah, let's go try a different state. Yeah. I was more curious than anything. Yeah. And, and then what's really cool is now that I'm in my thirties, I've noticed that as I've moved around, I'm comfortable, I'm comfortable moving. Like I'm still comfortable the idea of like going and living somewhere else, but I like packing up my stuff a whole lot less <laughs> than I used uh-huh. to. There used to be yep. this kind of like romantic charm of me doing it okay. independently. But now, mm-hmm. regardless of the fact that I'm that I'm with somebody and now we're packing up more stuff than just one of our stuff, that charm is gone of like the actual packing up and moving. So it's cool to notice that I'm more comfortable staying in a place longer. Mm-hmm. And I'm still curious about living in other places. So I'm still open to moving. That's why I've continued to move so much in the last five years, but it's really just cool to see that natural evolution and not put pressure on myself to always be a nomad or have to be a nomad. Like you're in a different phase of that than I am. And that's fine. But I think I'm close behind you because the thought every time right before we're about to leave a place, I have like a full meltdown. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> what are we doing? Because I don't want to pack. And like my partner has yeah. a running joke where he's like, oh, you're, in, you're, you're feeling the packing anxiety. He's like, it's going to take you 15 minutes. I'm like, oh, I don't know if it's going to take me too long. Like, and I, I don't want to keep kind of running around as like, as much as like unpacking and repacking all of my stuff is, is fun. It's like, I'm no longer wanting to do that as much. I I'm like more smaller bags for like shorter periods. And then I am, <laughs> I think that's been kind of a, a big part of, of feeling that shift. And there's a little bit of a struggle because, because I have been nomadic, there is this false narrative I'm telling myself where it's like well people want to see me be nomadic so I should keep being nomadic and it's like well do you, does it, is it for you or is it for someone else and that's been an interesting conversation I've had to have with myself a lot where it's like will you be happy if you go to this other place and are you doing it because you want to show someone that you're doing something or doing something cool 
or, you know, what, how would this impact your mental health? I've had to ask myself that a lot, a lot lately where, you know, there's been some cool trips that Taylor and I have talked about and it's like, it doesn't make sense. We, you know, we, when we got back to North America, we were thinking of going to a race in Madeira and I was like, oh, that's so cool. I've never been there. And I had to reel it in and be like, that is, that is not what I need right now. Like I want to be in North America, settling for a second, catching my breath, figuring out long-term plans. It's been tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that's, I mean, it takes so much awareness too Mm -hmm. of that. (laughs) And the cool thing, the cool thing too, is that because this is all a process of trusting yourself and the process, you never have to write off those, those trips if you don't want to. luckily you're with you're with a partner just like I'm with a partner who loves to travel loves to see other places and we love experiences like more than things and so um with my fiance Sarah like we definitely have a running list of places Mm -hmm. that like maybe Mm -hmm. we probably can't go in the next year but three of them we will be able to go to in 2022 Mm -hmm. you know so it's cool to like have the menu in mind of just like and over time be like, eh, I guess we don't need to worry about those places or those experiences right. or those things and just kind of let let it flow as mm-hmm. life should. We were changing humans and you're like, you know what? We don't want to go to Portugal anymore. That's all right. <laughs> we pivot our priorities. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> um, I love it. And so to kind of tie it, tie it up, I mean, there's so many so many more things that would be great to talk about, but I love, I love the way that you have probably unintentionally said things that we've talked about and pieced it all together and connected it to the daily life that you're already living, which is such a great example, not only for your audience, but just for anybody who hears this about how to be yourself, trust yourself, trust the process and learn how to be vulnerable and do what's meaningful. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Love that. Um, so to finish it up, one question I love to ask every guest I have on, this is inspired by my godfather who was, and I mean, he's retired, even though he's still doing like lots of life-changing work, but he's a, he was a pediatrician and he did a lot of work with um, med school residents and he would host events and things. And there was a guy who came and talked to the residents and the residents were talking, were asking all these nitty gritty med school and doctor questions out of their own kind of nervousness of just like, oh, how do I be a good doctor? But the guy who spoke said, stop thinking about all that. Just think about what is your definition of a good life mm. and treat people from there. Ooh. Right? That's beautiful. <laughs> I know it's pretty cool. And so of course, assuming that all of these residents are becoming doctors with good intentions <laughs> and mm-hmm. they have like a healthy definition of a good life, then that automatically is going to create more empathy and a more human mm-hmm. connection because it's something that they connect to. And mm-hmm. so because of the fact that on this show, <clears throat> a lot of times I talk about redefining success, redefining failure, redefining happiness, Mm -hmm. fulfillment. What I love to ask is for each guest, what is your definition of a good life? Oh my gosh, that's so hard to follow. Um, That's such a good story. (laughs) Um, I think a good life is one that 
that leads with love. I think it sounds really cliche and really boring, but it's like following that inner gut, that inner voice. It's listening to yourself and being really present. I think it goes back to that, like, who am I right now? And you show up as that person. Um, even if that's a person that, you know, might be angry, you're showing up as a human that is full of emotion and full of complexities. And you're not afraid to show up as that because we all have it. Um, we all have the good and the bad and the ugly mm. and the beautiful and a good life is not hiding yourself and, and keeping love at the forefront because if you can open your heart to others and lead by that example of love, then you will continue, continue to be met with it as well. And it kind of just, it has a process of everyone setting each other free to be, to be themselves. And that, that sounds like a great life. If everyone can just <laughs> be themselves and be imperfectly perfect, that's, that's it. I could not agree more. I love that. Well said. Thank you. Yeah, that was awesome. I love it. Thank you so much. Um, that's, yeah, that's a perfect, perfect and very inspiring and clear way to end the episode. So before we go though, uh, tell everybody where they can either find you or uh, what's the best way for them to find the link to your Patagonia trip if they're interested. Sure. So I can be found on literally any social media app under my name, which is um, Liz Fieser, um, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, LinkedIn. They're all the same. <laughs> it's all very boring, very easy, but I'll put all the links. Find... Also, I'll put every link in, in the show notes too. So go ahead. Perfect. Thank you. And then the, the trip link can be found in the bio of any of my social media. So all okay. links right there. Um, easy to find. Awesome. I love it. And yeah, everybody just from personal experience from following her on Instagram and following her on TikTok, the variety of things that she's sharing, uh, the variety of pictures, the variety of videos she's posting, it's all so impressive and inspiring and especially her writing as well underneath the pretty pictures. It's so deep. Oh. It's so vulnerable. Uh, it's so real and so raw. So Highly recommend giving it a follow. And if you know anybody who is interested in hiking Patagonia with Liz yeah. <laughs> next year uh, <laughs> as her debut tour guiding trip, uh, I'll make sure that all the links are very clear in the show notes for that. Thank you. Oh, I'm very excited. I'm really glad that this was a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed this. Me too. And I'm excited for our 60 year reunion. <laughs> I can tell you what success looks like. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm so, I'm very, I find myself very lucky that every guest I have on, I want to have a follow up interview with at some point in the future. So, yeah, I'll just create like seasons and it'll just be the same guests every season. <laughs> <laughs> You're documenting everyone's growth. I love it. I think it's a yeah. great idea. Yeah. There you go. It's formulating. But uh, all that's to say, thank you so much, Liz, for taking the time. Um, we're all, we're all busy these days and life is hectic. So I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Of course. So happy to be here. <laughs>